0: Welcome to week eight of ABC's The Crossing podcast, the place where we discuss all things crossing-related, going in-depth on the episode you just saw, and exploring the science behind the fiction. With us, as always, the creators of The Crossing, Dan Dworkin and Jay Beattie. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. Thanks for being here. And our special guest this week, climate scientist Tom Wagner. Hello. Hey, guys. I'm your host, ABC Radio's Jason Nathanson. And I want to jump into this week's episode, but first I got we got to address the elephant in the room. This is the first podcast that we're taping since we learned the fate of the show, sadly. And I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on everything that kind of went down. I don't think I don't think it's it's technically an elephant in, in the room, considering we
1: were all talking about it for about a half hour before <laughs> we started recording. <laughs> <laughs> so what is that at that point? It's not a
2: it's what is a an greatly elephant,
1: diminished elephant? What does it become when it's um, no longer when the elephant yeah. has been seen by everyone in the I don't know.
3: Obviously we're disappointed, but I think we could see from the ratings the writing was a little bit on the wall, you know. It is show business and it's a, a business and not enough people tuned in um and you know, we just didn't make it, but those, you know, the odds of getting a second season are still very high in uh in television, so it's something you know going in. Mm. Wait, but I
1: think that might confuse people. You just said the odds of getting a second season are very high. The odds are oh I'm sorry. The, the, the odds of long. us getting they're a second long. season are, are, not, <laughs> are not high. Are, at this are point. Bad. <laughs> yeah. Very bad. Close I to zero. zero. I think the network made that quite clear. But yeah, it it's uh it's it's a bummer. Because there's still there's still, you know, whatever it is, four, five, five and a half million people a week who watch the show. Right. And 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 really like the show. And so we're at peace with not getting a second season. it happens we, we did ha- we did though i mean I wouldn't say we, we were planning all along to not get a second season, but what we did was we wrote this first season as kind of a complete story like it and, and that's what i've I, I never really tweeted before, but I did go on Twitter just to make that point to mm-hmm. to to people who were because people are so disenchanted with serialized network television shows like this in, yes. the, in the past for having shows, you know, whether it's flash forward or the event or whatever canceled just as they get into it. And, right. and then they're left hanging with all, all these questions and frustrations and they were, they were afraid that that would be the case with this. And so what I said when I tweeted was just, you know, I can't promise that at the end of our finale, you won't have more questions. I'm sure you will. However, I can I can also tell you 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 will feel satisfied by the experience because it does all these different story threads do come to a head and all these characters do kind of their stories crescendo in okay. what we think I mean in that finale we're just super proud of the finale we just think the finale is cool and just want as many people as possible to see it second season or no second season like I think people will will be satisfied by by this full season of TV
0: so people keep watching Keep That's the message till I guess until the end. Yeah. Because it's and gonna be worth it. Yeah. There's gonna be a payoff. And you guys had ideas for the second season already, right? I mean, you you knew where you wanted to go. Yeah. I mean, had there been a second season, it
1: would have been and, and again, when when you when you watch the finale, you you will see the table set for like new stories mm-hmm. that we would have explored. Um Yeah, so we could have gone there. Could've, and is, should've
0: is there a chance that somebody else picks it up I, there's there's always a chance i guess but okay. i i don't
1: think I I, I I just don't i think there are shows where that like last year that i mean it was the same network that picked it up but like timeless got canceled and then got th- then got picked back up because of a fan insurgency right and um
3: oh well, brooklyn 99 moved from fox to nbc yeah right. nbc was your sure. studio i believe but i still was
1: i don't think this is that kind of show i just don't think i think there's I don't see a, You never know. There could be a super fan running Hulu right now uh-huh. who, like, says, I got to have it. But but I just, you, you got to be somewhat realistic about it. You didn't the try process. to organize
0: the Brooklyn Nine-Nine fans on your side. That and, would have been a funny get them to, Crossover episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Too late. We can make it a half hour next year, Jay. Yeah. Maybe. That's
1: um, true.
0: So, but as. RPGs are funny. As <laughs> two guys. <laughs> Jeez, you're funny. Where's the fireball this week? <laughs> there the, is no fireball. You missed the
3: fireball last week. I
0: did. Um, as two guys who spent, I mean, I don't know how many years this this was a labor of love for you guys and so much research and so much work, uh, on an emotional level, how does it feel when something like this that you've been working on for so long, you know, the network says, no more? Oof. I mean, it's, it,
1: it hurts, but again, the one of the kind of... Uh, mollifying elements of it is that it, again, like Jay said, that we had it it aired for whatever it was, six, seven weeks. And during that time, you look at the ratings and you start to get a sense because it's network TV, you have to very quickly establish the hit or miss status of a given show. And, you know, we are definitely in a gray in a bubble area for several weeks. So at which point us being pragmatic guys who have been in the business a long time, we're all, okay, well, this might, it might not happen. So we had a while to come to terms with it, but it's still, yeah, it's, we would have loved to, it's just emotionally, it's hard. Like I got really sad the other day for, for one of the first times when I was talking to Steve's on, really? um, because yeah, I mean, not on the phone with him. I didn't like start crying or anything, (laughs) but I was, I was talking to him we were on the phone and I was just, You know, we were talking about the whole thing, and he's he's got a he's got a thousand other things to do, and you know he'll be fine. You know, he doesn't need the show. But like, I was just like, you know, it just dawned on me. I'm like, you know, man, I don't know when I'm going to see you again. Like, like I I, because he lives in Kentucky, he never comes out to L.A. You know, he he goes to shoot shows in Vancouver sometimes, but now I'm not going to be in Vancouver. And I was just I hung up, and I was like, I was telling my wife, I'm like, I'm really sad, like because I really love the guy. Yeah, and I I, he's become a friend, and I'm just like, I don't know when I'm going to see it. So that. That is sad, but, but,
3: um, yeah, one of the things you notice in TV and film is how often filmmakers work with the same people over and over again. And Steve Zahn has certainly become, you know, I think for us, somebody we would want to work with over and over again, like anything we did, we would find a way to include him. So, you know, hopefully we can make that you know a reality in the future
1: and the other actors too it's about but a lot a lot of those other actors are local and yeah. we, we could kind of pick sure. up the phone and go have lunch with them and whatever and so uh, we just it, it became a big family that's what happens on these things right. if, if you have a good experience that's what happens and that's what happened and so on that level it's a bummer too now i feel like this is getting depressing <laughs> <laughs> I, I,
0: I, feel, I feel like it's getting i think like people are tuning out now who's so. your favorite actor on the show <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the episode, episode eight that we just all saw, which is fantastic. Um, w- where the, we start with the townspeople are rebelling. We have a, we have an insurgency. They're going. They're storming the camps with pitchforks and things like that. Um, why did you want to get the townspeople involved uh, on such a level and get them to the camp?
3: Well, we did start that story. Um, you know, early on Like, it started to leak And we thought that was Credible and realistic You know, that you really Can't cover up Something like this You know, completely um, and, and part of it was just To get the town There with As you say, pitchforks And baseball bats um, To apply pressure You know Right To Lindauer It's always good to keep Your villain under You know, immense pressure But as we see He's several steps ahead Of everybody
0: And um, I'm not quite is,
3: sure He's a villain At this point Well, yeah We'll see <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but we He's also certainly
3: conflicted. Um, he
0: he does seem, which I appreciate. He because uh, you know nobody is completely one thing. Uh, 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 I like when characters are nuanced. That's good writing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or when you when you introduce a villain and then you realize there's a villain that's a more of a villain than that villain, and then that person <laughs> seems to become less of a villain. Like that's always cool. It's a, yeah. la- like, a
0: layer cake of villains. Like yeah. Eve is more of a villain than a a, Lindauer a, is yeah. exactly at this point.
1: But also like in the for the original our original refugee allegory that we kind of you know that was the core of the show we always wanted the town back to your question we always wanted the. we always wanted to incorporate the town in some way um as if to kind of pose the question of how would a town react to you know there's obviously a big issue in this country right now with like will people accept refugees into their towns and will they not and right. there's lots of lots of interesting research we did like certain towns like really want refugees because right. to stimulate their local economy and certain towns kind of are more xenophobic and don't want sure. anyway, you so have we were sanctuary
0: like, cities and yeah you know. sure.
1: exactly so how do we how do we reflect that a little bit but then we but then we said well we had to, we have to twist it a little bit too like let's not have our town say there's refugees up there we don't like refugees because that's the typical way to go so we kind of tried to twist it to say wait a second you're keeping American citizens that's that's not right let's go up there and find out what's really going on
0: so because we, we had to keep the town in the dark obviously as to what what is really happening um, and one of the uh, we, we get more on the backstory of Naomi and Rebecca and Rebecca's daughter and uh, what Naomi is and why she's writing all the symbols and things like that and uh, a word that caught my eye or caught my ear was neurodiverse um, yeah. that's something I'd never heard before is that the how did you come upon neurodiverse as a as a thing?
1: I think the I mean I think Saber, the writer of the episode, uh, came up with that. I, I'd never heard that term either before, but I, I think that uh, I, I I guess I always assumed after he wrote it that that autism falling under the umbrella, the clinical umbrella of neurodiversity was legitimate. Yeah, um, never questioned it. <laughs> It it, it
3: seems like a good umbrella term. I think what was interesting to us is the irony of, like, in the future where Apex are, you know, enhanced and smarter than, you know, the average human, that there is still this subset of, you know, humans that could do things that they couldn't, you know. Right. And became useful to them. Yeah, like, explain the,
1: the, the, like, the kind of flashes of genius that they might have engineered out of their thinking, right? Wasn't that the idea that, like, that that... That by kind of engineering their minds to be so efficient and smart and focused in this one way, what by engineering out things like, like schizophrenia, like, like schizophrenia or, or or whatever, maybe they also engineered out insp- certain inspirations that would
0: would not would have otherwise occurred to them. Right, or geniuses like you. So yeah. you wouldn't yeah. get yeah. an Albert Einstein or somebody right. else. not. Yeah. Who who is above and beyond everybody else? Which is
3: sort of how we explain, and this may be a spoiler. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, it would explain how um, the regular commons in the future invented time travel when the apex couldn't.
0: Ah. Uh, um, so that yeah. tied in nicely. And, and I, I would I would guess that there's not much art in the future in the apex world. Or you, you would you did they have those artist brains? You know, if they don't have. I, I don't the know. That we, I don't know that we really covered that so much. I mean, I wonder if they would
3: would sort of decide that there was a usefulness to art and music and in the arts. I, I think there is. I mean, I, I think
1: like in every again, we didn't get a chance to explore it, but I think in every civilization there has been art. Right. So I think that in the apex civilization there is, was art. Okay.
0: Um maybe it maybe the styles were different. <laughs> One other thing that uh, caught my ear was uh, Reese telling Sophie that only 7% of humans have the genetic marker to mm-hmm. become the apex. Why was that 7%? Was that based on anything? It, it is, yes. And that would have been revealed a little bit
3: in, uh, sp- more specifically in season two, I think, okay. actually. But uh, we like the idea that it was just sort of random, you know? That you might have the gene, but your brother, your sister, your mother, your wife, it may not, you right. know? Um, It wasn't specific to one race of people or gender. It was a kind of a great equalizer, a randomness to it, you know. Um,
0: and one final thing on the episode, um, that Paul tells Eve that he saw her when they, when they meet and they're talking. Um, and he's surprised, I guess, by how old she looks, or not old she looks, but how much she's how different she looks, Um, when he says, I just saw you two months ago. So in the future world, the first migration happened two, or the second migration happened two months after the first migration? Yes. Is that what the timeline on that is? Yes. Okay.
3: Yeah, but they landed obviously 10 years earlier than the first. They landed
0: 10 years earlier. So was was the second migration trying to land in the same place that the first migration landed, or things got all screwed up and...
1: It, I mean, essentially, they they were trying to go back to the same time. I mean, really, you know, in the second migration, and you'll get a little bit more of this in the next episode, in episode nine. I mean, they were just trying to get out of there, right? They were just trying to escape. So wherever they ended, I mean, they wanted to go to the long piece, which was, you know, uh, they probably didn't know this, but like we talked about in an earlier podcast, long piece is basically everything from post World War II to now, right? So. Um, yeah and and then things got screwed up because things were rushed and chaotic and you'll see in the next episode to what degree and and how that all went down but then uh yeah also oh and just a side note the the just to geek out a little bit the episode title the the long morrow is actually um, a twilight zone title that we borrowed and Uh and it has reason being in in the long was that just a was that tom was that you Yes. Twilight, sorry. Zone, Twilight Zone fan.
2: <laughs> I was like, I knew I had heard that somewhere else. Yeah, it's so cool. Rod
1: Serling, man. Anyway, <laughs> but like he so long morals about an astronaut who goes up and comes back and time has passed by. And it's 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 somewhat analogous to the Paul Greta, Paul Eve story mm. in in about two people like who just seemingly saw each other moments ago and then they're reunited and all this time has passed right. and all these things have happened and it's and that was a nod to that
0: and for him it was just two months, but for her it's been ten years. Correct. So like it's different in yeah. their head. Yeah, she's that. done a lot in those ten years, I which you're gonna find with, out more of. I love playing with time like that. Yeah. That, that's a lot of fun. But then that, that's also when you get people on Twitter going, This is wrong and you did this and like that doesn't match up. That's gonna so you happen got, regardless. You've got to be very careful with yeah. that.
1: But yeah, there's more coming like in the next in the next couple episodes that will inform like what she's been doing for, I mean, we've seen some of what she's been doing for the next ten years, but on a personal level, it's it's gonna get good.
0: One other small thing on the tree we see carved at the camp when um uh, two of the guys are talking we see nr plus kj 89 yep i I know you guys at this point and i think there's something behind that yeah oh come on you don't know what it is no i don't oh man well you
1: would have known if like we actually reshot an earlier scene a few times and there were (laughs) er okay so in episode two when uh okay way back in episode two nestor tails emma and comes back and tells Jude, hey, I think I know where they're keeping those people from the beach. And they right. go on to Jude's computer in Jude's sheriff's office. And they, they look at the satellite imagery and kind of find the road, whatever. And then they see the overhead Im- imagery of the camp. And Jude says, what's that? And Nestor says, uh, Camp Tomanois, I may or may not have lost my virginity there.
0: Ah. So, so
1: <laughs> the initials on the tree, N-R, that's Nestor Rosario. Okay.
0: Uh, and S- his first love. Who's KJ? Yes. Who we don't know. Don't know. Will we meet KJ? If there's a season two. <laughs> <laughs> I can't Stay wait. Tuned. I can't <laughs> wait for that spinoff. Uh, let's get to our guest, Tom Wagner, who is so nice to be here. Um, and I want to talk to you guys, or let's start this conversation by how did you guys get hooked up with him? And what did he research and, and stuff did he bring to the show?
1: Um, well, like, like many of the experts that we consulted, I, Jason Reed who we spoke with on our last podcast, last couple podcasts, right? Yes. I, yeah. And drank with he and drank. With. He, uh, did you, Tom, you know, Jason
2: personally, or did you guys just meet before that?
1: Through the
3: science exchange. I think
2: that was the first reason we met, and I think Jason got me from the Science Entertainment Exchange.
3: Okay. Yeah. All right.
2: Which yeah. is that National Academy group that was set up years ago to help get more science into movies and TV.
1: Right. Yeah.
3: Which has been, and they're succeeding certainly it is with our show. Yeah. No,
1: they've been <laughs> amazingly helpful. Yeah.
3: I think when we first talked to Tom, that we were we we're trying to figure out, I guess, how many years into the future it would be, and the first I think a, a, a question we asked was. It, things going as they are, or seemingly not well, in terms of climate change and the global warming. Right. You know, what happens in 180 years from now? And uh, I think, he, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, but your answer was, well, the oceans will probably rise about 100 inches and Manhattan's gone. It started <laughs> with that. <laughs> so,
2: Yeah, right. I mean, do you still feel that way? Yeah. I mean... It's kind of funny because in a way, people like me, we have to do double think all the time. Like, you know, I have to go about my daily life and coach little league with my kids. Yeah. And then I got to go to work every day and think about doom and gloom. And it's kind of hard to do. But um, yeah, I mean, I really the planet, I think, is going to dramatically change even in our lifetimes. And it's everything from loss of the polar ice to rising sea levels to increasing temperature drought and other things. I mean, I'm still hopeful for a few reasons, but I think We have to acknowledge that, you know, this is the world we live in and the planet isn't just changing. It's changed already and it's going to continue to change. So how do I think about the future and and kind of where we're going? I'll tell you this. I really think the most important thing is this, is that young people today are growing up with climate change kind of in their DNA. And they're already calling for changes And we kind of see that happening at the grassroots level around the world. Now, for people like my age, right, um, who were born in the 60s and 70s, I kind of liken it to – you remember when we grew up and we learned about ecology? Like the whole idea, hey, you know, the plants and animals, it's kind of all connected up. You can't – you know, you have to preserve the environment and things are all interconnected and if we want to survive – And if we want plants and animals to survive, we need to understand that. And I think the same thing is happening today with climate change, right? Like, just like we would never think it was okay, you know, when things like logging have come up, we're like, whoa, you gotta preserve that old growth and things, right? Almost everybody agrees with that. I think the same thing's happening if people understand now that the planet's gotta, you know, we've gotta do things to preserve it and we're gonna see more and more actions in that. The question is this though, right? How much can we get done and how soon because no matter what, there's a big lag time in the system. You know, like, even if you cut off CO2 today, the planet is going to continue to warm for a while. And one of the things we do is try to work out what that's going to mean. Um, and it's going to mean sea level rise, more drought, and those kinds of things. Um, one of the things that I work really closely on are things like the GRACE mission, which just launched to space. Which is one of the ways we noticed how much we were losing ice from the polar regions. Um, another mission called IceSat Two is going to launch in September that very precisely measures the height of ice. So there's a lot of great stuff actually, like in the hopper that's coming anyway.
0: How do
3: you, um, when you're ever confronting someone who's a, you know, a science denier, or climate change denier? Because I remember posting something on Facebook about, you know, ice shelves falling, you know, into the earth and tumbling over, and they are into the water and tumbling over, and it looked like, you know the size of a city of ice just falling into the sea. And one of my friends from college posted something about a logical fallacy, which got me sort of apoplectic. But how do you speak to people who are climate change deniers and convince them that it it is true and demonstrably true?
2: You know, one of the things I say is that you're too smart to say something that stupid. (laughs) When I hear people, you know, like I have a relative who says things like that. I'm like, look, you know, or on occasion you'll hear people say, hey, well, you know, that I, uh, you know, there's as many glaciers growing as are losing ice. And it's like that stuff is just patently false. Mm. And the way that I really look at it today, um, I think that it's become a little bit like religion. Like there are some people, for whatever reason, they quote, don't believe in climate change. Right. And you know what? You're not going to change those people's minds. But the vast majority of people accept it, and it's kind of even a growing number. Now, when you look at the science, though, right, the data is clear. Like almost all the ice on Earth, we're losing. There are a couple of examples. There's one glacier in Alaska that's actually growing. Mm -hmm. But all of the other hundreds of glaciers are receding. And what happens is this. As you warm the planet up, you put more water vapor in the atmosphere. So in some places you actually get a little bit more snow in those winter months, right? right? And there's a couple of, in the um, eastern end of the Hindu Kush Karakoram range that goes from like Afghanistan, you know, through the the Mount Everest region. Some of those glaciers towards the Afghanistan end are actually growing because the there's been a change in the winds there as the Earth's climate has changed. But for the most part, we're losing ice and things from other parts of it. Um, it's actually. Something that a, a group of scientists is studying right now.
3: So we're losing but, far more than what's growing.
2: Oh yeah, there's a little bit of data about East Antarctica. We know we're losing ice from Greenland. We know we're losing ice from West Antarctica. East Antarctica might be in balance. We don't know. But the other thing is, we actually have measurements of how, of sea level and how it's rising, and we know why it's rising. Like we know, you know, most of it comes from ice. So it's like the evidence is so clear and overwhelming. But listen, that said. I can understand that the general public gets confused sometimes because sometimes the way the media portrays it can be like, well, let's give the alternative point of view. And it's like "Uh, that might not be the way to present it. Yeah. (laughs) And I think I think also
1: the, the phrase global warming hasn't done you any favors in a way. You know what I mean? Like or hasn't done us any favors because not not through anyone's fault, but but the other side seizes on that phrase to say global warming, but what about these floods we're having? What about all this rain? It's what about the so, snow? It's, it's so been the And, and, and that, just, that just makes me mad. I can only imagine what, but, but like, and the obvious scientific explanation, right, is that, as you said, more CO2 in the atmosphere holds more water, which creates more rain in certain areas.
2: It's climate right. change. <laughs> right. So it's just
1: words, words are... No, it's
2: hard. And so one of the things that I've tried to do and, and actually one of the reasons I enjoy talking to, to people like you guys and writers is to say, you know, it's time for us to advance the debate yeah. and the discussion of what climate change and warming and things mean. And I say, actually, the way to discuss things is what are the implications? Right. And the debate should be about how fast the temperature is going to go up. How is the atmosphere actually going to change? How is circulation and weather patterns, how are they going to change? And you know what? We have imperfect knowledge of those things. We can't say that in 50 years it's going to be this exact thing. We can't do a forecast the way we do for weather where we do pretty well just a few days out. It's hard. But we know the general trends. And I think those are the things I wish we could talk more about in the press and things.
0: So, Tom, as a guy who studies this stuff, and we've talked about this kind of thing on the podcast before, are you optimistic for the future, pessimistic for the future?
2: So, I am personally optimistic for the future because I really think that what I'm seeing across society is kind of the, the developing of collective understanding and the willingness to change. And, you know, you're seeing everything from LED light bulbs to alternative fuels, right? Increased use of solar, et cetera. Um, what I and I feel like for those of us in the United States especially we will probably be okay it's going to cost us more to live the way that we've always lived what I really worry about are developing countries and I'd worry about parts of the world that are going to be more dramatically impacted like for example the Middle East right Africa those places India Bangladesh they're going to be hit very very hard by a variety of aspects of change in the Earth's climate and the Earth as a system and the question is, how are they going to cope with it? They may not have the resources, or they simply have too many people living in coastal areas to cope easily. It's kind of, you know, one of the things I liked about the show is the idea that, hey, you maybe really needed to make a group of refugees, which I see as directly analogous, you know, because of a changing Earth's climate system, which I see as directly analogous to what's gone on in Syria. You know, you look at, um, you had about two to three million refugees come out of Syria over the period of a couple of years, right? And look at the crazy humanitarian crisis that caused. Yeah. Well, sea level rise alone is going to displace a Syria refugee's worth of people every two or three years for the next hundred years. Wow. Then, Yeah. And so just imagine what that's going to cause continuously. But now add into that things like drought. Add into that rising temperatures and people having to move away from areas where they've lived for hundreds or thousands of years and farmed, you know, change their water resources, make some areas become too flooded. It doesn't mean some other areas won't become viable, but it means that you've got to move a lot of people. And that's a challenging thing for us as a species. I, uh,
1: I, I heard, uh, in the course of my research, I heard some, some, a British geoscientist refer to the issue as a tidal wave of treacle, meaning he was speaking in the context uh. of trying to motivate people to, to, to create a, a greater sense of urgency mm-hmm. amongst the general public. And it's a tidal wave. I thought that was a great phrase, especially said <laughs> with a British accent um, <laughs> yeah. about like, it seems like everyone knows it's coming, but it feels like, and everyone knows it's, it's big, but it feels like it's coming so slow. And it's hard. Cause I know you talk about this a lot too, having gone sure. back and listened to your talks and stuff like, it seems like information doesn't do it. Like motivation is the key to getting people to care and to do whatever they can. Um, and it seems like that, that is more than half the battle. Trying to, that, that's what you were just talking about, kind of the messaging, getting people to yeah. think about what. It's hard to, to kind of line everything up for people and getting them to care yeah. and making them understand, well, how much Like, I drive an electric car. Is that helping? Really? Or or is that just, am I kidding myself? You
2: know, like, and, 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 no. yeah, those are all really good points. One of the reasons that I enjoy working with people like you, because, you know, even like through the medium of fiction and things, it's a, it's a great way to communicate it and kind of drive the home, point home in an emotional way. Um, you know, there's a lot of study, even on the psychology of how do you get people to change? How do you get people to understand but let's face it, one of the other challenges we face is there are a lot of threats to humanity that people have to deal with right now. And uh, it's scary and it's hard, and people will generally focus on the more pressing threats. They're not incapable of understanding long-term threats, and we have examples of successes like the ozone hole and the, the Montreal Protocol. Hmm. You know, so I think it's not as though humanity can't do it, you know, vaccinations and things like that. Um, But it's just, it might be on a longer lead time, but I think it's happening. I mean, one of the other funny things, though, too, is that, and this is something I really think we need to change, like, the zeitgeist on, right? Climate change is already here. It's like that William Gibson quote everybody uses, like, the future is already here, but it's unevenly distributed, if I got that right. Mm, yeah. (laughs) The city of Miami is already flooding. Right. Like to the point where one of the mayors recently is trying to indemnify the city against lawsuits because parts of the city are flooding regularly. The Army Corps of Engineers having to build pumping systems to deal with it. And it's like, hey, already we're seeing people move because of drought. We're seeing parts of the southwest become drier. We're seeing fires in the Arctic. We're seeing like it's already here. It's not coming, (laughs) you know.
1: I mean, I, I mean, I, I warned you ahead of time, we'd be jumping around a lot. So I just have like, like, like I just, um, it's, Back to, back to like the common person understanding what their contribution is supposed to be and what it all means. It's just, it's just so, like, if you look at, um, again, not, not to keep harping on the Trump administration or whatever, but they are, the EPA is trying to roll back the emission standards in California, yeah. right? And just today there was an article that I didn't quite understand about how the science advisory board of the EPA is now demanding a scientific review of what, those, uh, what that will mean. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking of a regular person in California like trying to do right by the climate, like wanting to to buy the right kind of car that's not going to send so much CO2 into the atmosphere, and then but the government's trying to roll those standards back, and then we've got gas prices, which now are high, but w- when they become low again, people are manufacturers are going to start. It disincentivizes manufacturers to build electric cars. You know what I mean? They're going to start building yeah, sure. gas cars. And it's just – it's like one step forward, two steps back is my point. And it, it's just it, – its just I, I feel kind of powerless sometimes to know like what people are supposed to think and supposed so, to do.
2: Yeah, and I think a couple of different things. You know, the first one is this, right? CO2 has a long residence time in the atmosphere. So the less you put in – is the less there is in the atmosphere for a long time to come. You know, and you you can't lose sight of that. So changing out light bulbs, driving an electric car, um, finding any way you can to minimize your energy use, those are all perfectly reasonable good things to do that have a direct impact. Might be small, but it's part of it. But I think one of the most important things to think about too is the idea of the bridging technologies, right? Like, yes, us, you know, someone like me who drives a hybrid, maybe we paid a premium now Um, But we're setting the stage for that technology to be adopted by everybody down the road. And it's important to play a role in those things. Uh, You know, it's hard, you know, because I personally look at my own climate choices. Like I do things like buy green power for my house and I try to bike to work or use metro and things like that. But, you know, when I go on a camping trip and I drive a big van that uses a lot of gas, I do, you know, think about it. But I try to and and I guess what I would want people to think about is, is I try to balance it. You know, the idea like the way that you get to work every day, those are the things that you should think about, you know, not whether or not you burn some fossil fuels on the weekend driving your favorite internal combustion engine. Right. (laughs) But that daily overall use. Right. You know, those are the things that we got to get on top of. And I think we should be hopeful, too, because forgetting the federal government for a minute. A lot of state governments are really getting involved in this and passing their own laws, local governments, local people, and even internationally, even some of the countries that we're worried about becoming the biggest emitters, like take China, for example, right? They have a climate change policy. They are actually harder hit by climate change and global warming than we are in the U.S., and they're worried about it. So that's why I I sort of feel like in the long term, we're going to get it figured out, but there's going to be a lot of impacts that happen along the way.
0: And uh, I think that's a great place to leave it there until next week. I want to let everybody know that the Crossing podcast is a production of Brick Moon Fiction. Thanks to the creators of the show, Dan Dworkin and Jay Beatty, for being here. Thank you, and Thanks. our guest Tom Wagner. Thank you for being here as well.
2: Thanks for having me, Thanks, Tom.
0: I'm your host, ABC Radio's Jason Nathanson, and we'll cross paths next week.